Well, good morning. We're thankful that you're here. Again, uh, we can worship together. We're thankful for the opportunity to join in song and in studying God's Word for a few moments. We're thankful for the means of the Internet, that we can have those that will be live streaming with us and watching along. We just uh, continue to be thankful for so many things in this year. We're especially grateful if you're visiting with us today. And we want a chance to greet you in just a few moments as we are done with our services. Uh, We continue to add things to our year 2020, things that we would have never expected to think or have said before. Who would have thought that it would finally come to the year 2020 before we could get Bill Greer to watch a service using a computer and the Internet online? Uh, Charles's encouragement last week that uh, you don't need to use a menthol cough drop before you put your mask on and then begin to sing. And I would just say to Brian that I think Brian's problem is the sweat that he has when he's trying to lead singing more than the mask. As much as Brian sweats, when you're up here, you can see it a little closer, uh, reflecting off the light there uh, when he's sweating a little bit. And that may be the problem more than anything. But we're thankful uh, that you are here this morning. We're thankful for the opportunity to be together. We hope that you can be back with us on Wednesday night if you're able to. Uh, it's this thing that we keep going through during this year. We take encouragement when we can from the things that we're able to do, such as starting to meet again on Wednesday night. But we want to continue to be cautious, even as our elders have asked us to do. But we hope that you can be with us as often as is possible. By the time we get to 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, we know a little bit from the Old Testament about the idea of gods. We talked last week about the idea in Exodus chapter 20. As Moses is delivering the Ten Commandments, you can imagine, in fact, it's chapter 19 and verse number 25. The Bible says, so Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. And so you can picture this great gathering of the people. Moses is going to deliver these Ten Commandments, and he begins by saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And First and foremost, you shall have no other gods before me. But let's, let's continue to go on. Let's clarify a little further. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that, that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. God is pretty clear up front with this idea that he wants to take first place in our lives. But of course, the people of God even as we today continue to struggle with this idea of always putting God first. And so we go forward, and we, whether it's, we think about the idea of Aaron and the golden calf there at Mount Sinai, or we go forward to the divided kingdom that we talked about last week, and we think about Jeroboam making the two golden calves and allowing them to have another place to worship because worship was going to be too much for them. Or we even, of course, think about Joshua. When Joshua talks about that famous passage in Joshua 24, 15, about choose you this day whom you will serve, before he says, as for me and my house, he gives them the reminder that whether it is the gods of those who, who your father served, who were on the other side of the river, or the god of the Amorites in whose land you now dwell, those are some other choices that they could choose at that time. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we come to 1 Kings 18, that great scene that we, we sort of went through last week on Mount Carmel, we think about Elijah being there and evil, wicked King Ahab. We know that's very plainly put forth that as he served as a king, he was evil. Did the most evil, maybe, of any king that had ever come before him. And so as they are about to gather there and have this great scene, it is in verse number 18 that when Ahab tries to question Elijah and say, you've troubled Israel, Of course, Elijah says, it's not me, but it's you. 
And it's because you and your fathers and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. And he makes a very interesting distinction here. Not only have you forsaken the commandments of the Lord, but as well, you have followed the Baals. And so we set forth the idea last week that whether it is actually the Canaanite god of Baal or Balaam, or whether it's the gods of the Asherites or uh, whoever it may be, that people choose to worship or choose to give uh, their dedication to, there are probably a list of things that we could cover. The Baals, to me, again, sounds like a, a bit of a family, if you will, like a sitcom we might watch. And, and as the credits are rolling at the beginning, introducing the characters and the people who are playing these characters, you can list off the different people that you know. And maybe if we're not careful in our life, we have a set of idols that we could list off in our lives. We might call them the Baal. Simply put, as we said last week, we are talking about idolatry. We started last week, we're going to go today, and God be willing next Sunday, go a little bit further to try to focus on us for a minute. I'm not worried about what Joshua was doing or, or what those at Mount Sinai were doing, although they lay a foundation for us. But what about us in our lives and the idolatry that we sometimes give way to? We said last week that an idol is anyone or anything that takes the primary place of God in your life or my life, in our lives. We said that this was the last statement that was in your outline last week, and if you've got one this week, it's the first statement because this is what we're trying to hone in on. That an idol is not necessarily made of gold, it's not necessarily a little small statue, but it's anything or even anyone, especially as we're going to talk about that, this, that idea this week, that takes the primary place of God in our lives. Let's go a little bit further. If you have your outline, you'd see some other defi uh, definitions there. Maybe one of them is that idolatry is really taking a created thing and making that created thing an object of worship. We use that, that term sometimes, maybe in, in a lot of different ways. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But taking a created thing... All things are created by God, a created thing, and making it an object of worship. Let's go a little further. Maybe idolatry is turning a good thing into an ultimate thing. There's a book by Timothy Keller that's entitled Counterfeit Gods. I was reading through some of it to, to get some of these ideas, but, but there's a long list. And, and he describes idolatry this way. And I think it's one of the best definitions we could use. Idolatry is turning a good thing into an ultimate thing in our lives. You see, that you see, there should only be one ultimate thing, but oftentimes we make good things ultimate things. Here's just a small list that I put together. And, and as you look at that list, you may see some things that, that have been an idol before in your life. Maybe you see something of someone that you know, and you say, well, they, they really struggle with that. But you know what's interesting as we consider this idea of gods, little g, plural s, gods? Maybe the pagans were not so far off when they had a god of war and a god of love and a god of sex and a god of all those things. Because do we not do the same thing even still today? Maybe we don't build grand temples to them as a society. But if we're not careful, we can treat these things in the same way. You see, I wrote money up there. Maybe we can include your job in that. There's nothing wrong, obviously, with having a job. Having a job is a good thing. But if your job becomes first place in your life so much that it affects your health, or if your job becomes 
so much that you're willing to do things that you shouldn't do that are against the will of God in order to move up in that job, then maybe it's no longer a good thing, but it is an ultimate thing. As you look at that list, you see some things on there that are not bad. To have a family, there's nothing wrong with that. To play sports, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But when we take a good thing and make it an ultimate thing, we begin to have a problem. You see one word there on the bottom of the left-hand column. See, there's nothing wrong. God made the ability to have a sexual relationship. But when it becomes an ultimate thing, the pagans called it Aphrodite. See, we don't call it Aphrodite anymore, but there are many people who would place that sexual relationship above anything else. And then we've got a problem, making a good thing an ultimate thing. When we think about this idea of the bales or having idols in our life, maybe we could say this this morning as we begin to hone in on one particular subject. Maybe we could say when it comes to the idea of worshiping something, the more you love something the easier it is to worship that thing. You know, I'm, I'm very upfront with you all about how much I love sports. I enjoy sports, enjoy playing sports, watching sports. But the more you love something, the, more, the easier it is for it to become something that we worship, for it to become an idol. It can become something that we do all hours of the day, every free moment that we have, including uh, allowing us to maybe avoid our job or our work, or allowing us to avoid causing us to avoid our family and our friends. When we love something more than we love God, then we begin to have a problem. And it's hard to see that. I mean, it's hard for us to see that sometimes in our life. And when it comes to this idea of love, we want to focus in on one particular topic this morning, and that is the idea of relationships. Relationships. When we put the, good, the list of good things there on the screen, you saw family and you saw friends, and those are good things. God wants us to have friends. He wants us to have a family. He wants us to have relationships. But if you've got your Bible and you want to be opening to Genesis chapter 29 and chapter 30, let's take a study for a few moments in one particular place here and see that maybe it is possible that, yes, even a relationship... Our relationships can be a good thing that we then make an ultimate thing. And maybe that is a problem in our lives. First of all, in Genesis chapter 29, we go to verse number 18. You're familiar with the characters here, Jacob and Rachel and Leah and, of course, their father Laban. Verse 16 said, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Verse 17 tells us that Leah's eyes were delicate. And Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. It's possible some people believe that maybe Leah was cross-eyed in some sense, something like that. It's also possible that as there is a connection here with Rachel's beautiful form and appearance, that maybe that idea of delicate or weakness, depending on the version you have, may just mean that she wasn't as beautiful, more than an actual physical problem. But in verse 18, it says, Now Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you to Laban seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And we say, oh, how sweet is that, right? That he would be willing to work seven years. In fact, not only is it seven years, but even at that time, that would have been four times the going rate. As we think about history and what we can read and know, four times the going rate, and it sounds like something we'd see in the movies, and it's so sweet and wonderful that Jacob would be willing to go through that 
for Rachel. It's the beginning of a wonderful, sweet love story, one might think. In fact, verse number 20 makes it even sweeter, doesn't it? It goes on. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few. They seemed only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. Maybe there's some good in that. That's a good thing when we love someone that much that we would look at that sense of time and say that it seemed as nothing. But the problem begins here. All right, The problem sort of begins because when we think about our lives, we tend to talk about romantic relationships sometimes through worship, worshipful terms. What do we sometimes say? We've even created a phrase that people use from time to time. We would say, he worships the ground that she walks on. And we ah uh, over that and think about how sweet that is. And, and it's meant to be sweet. But sometimes we talk about our relationships and we use worshipful terms. You can see how easy it can be at times then for someone to then take a good thing that is a relationship and turn it into an ultimate thing. Maybe Jacob's on a little bit of a slippery slope here. Love is not wrong. We're thankful that he may have found someone who could be his wife, but maybe he becomes a little bit obsessed with this idea. We go forward in Genesis chapter 29 and verses 21 and following. We don't have time to read all of it this morning, but as you think about that Laban deceives, when Jacob thinks that he's going to marry Rachel in that night, uh, verses 23 uh, and 24, Laban brings him Leah, and then he finds himself in a problem. He is deceived in a sense. And so we see going on through verse 30 of this particular chapter, chapter 29, that then Jacob is going to serve seven more years in order to get Rachel. You see, when we talk about this idea of good things and ultimate things, marriage and relationships are a good thing. There's no doubt about that. But Jacob seems to have become so obsessed that it has become an ultimate thing to him. And that's not something that is new. Jacob has had relationship problems in his life. We don't have time this morning to touch on his history with his family. But this is something that he has seen go on before. Looking for love. And rather than turning to God for that love, maybe turning to earthly relationships. Marriage is good. But becoming obsessed and giving all of your time and love to an earthly relationship can make it an ultimate thing. Well, what about these particular ladies here? We look at verse number 31, and it says, When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So when we think about what Leah was going through, Leah takes her earthly relationships and her mindset, and she begins to idolize something else. What does it say there? Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Well, what about Reuben? What was Reuben's name? She called him Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. You begin to see a little bit of a problem here, but don't stop. Let's go forward. Verse 33. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. Seems like Leah has a bit of an idol problem. Rather than turning to God, she continues to turn to her children. Don't stop. Go to verse 34. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. 
Therefore his name was called Levi. I don't know if you can imagine being Reuben, or if you can imagine being Simeon, or Levi, but if you know where your name comes from, it seems like that your mother continues to want to try to be attached in love by her husband, and that is where the problems begin to come in here with the idea of idols. Look at verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. It's interesting that while these are things that we've heard before, maybe we've not considered the possibility of idol worship being here. We don't see any statues. We don't see any gold things. We don't see any altars. But we see relationships becoming an ultimate thing. It takes three sons before we get to the fourth. They're going to, be, going to be the tribe of Judah, which of course is important as we think about Bible history. Before Leah says, now I will praise the Lord. But let's not stop there as we think about this particular situation. Well, let's ask this question first. Excuse me. Do the children make Jacob love her? Think about this situation and what you know about it. When we think about Leah idolizing her children, do the children make Jacob love her? Well, let's go forward now to verse number, or excuse me, chapter 30, beginning in verse number 1. Now, when Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, Rachel, Rachel envied her sister and said to Jacob, Give me children or else I die. So not only does Jacob seem to have a problem here, and Leah seem to have a problem, but Rachel begins to show her idol. Have you ever known someone who's gone through those kinds of struggles and said, if, if you won't love me, they're reaching out for attention. I'll just, I'll just take my own life. Rachel begins to show her problem with needing affection more than anything. Giving her love, trying to give her love to Jacob, rather than giving her love to God, making a good thing an ultimate thing, and we have a problem here with idolatry. You see, it's interesting, if I ask you this morning to list maybe what idols might be, most of us might not say our husband or our wife or our children or our relationships, but if we're not careful, those things certainly will become an idol. We go forward to the New Testament and we think about this idea that in Ephesians 5, when Paul writes to those in Ephesus and gives them the encouragement of what a husband should be and a wife should be. That a wife should submit to her own husband. That a husband should love his wife as Christ loved the church. It's an ultimate kind of love. Having an Ephesians 5 type of marriage is a good thing. And yes, I think through Paul's words, it's something that we should strive for and should have. But let's not forget that it can become an ultimate thing. If we're not careful... Even good things can become ultimate things in our life. And then we begin to have a problem. And we have to assess our priorities. Well, what did Jesus, excuse me, when we love someone the way we only ought to be loving God? When we talk about relationships, one of the things that we're focusing on is the idea of love. And when we love someone the way that we only ought to be loving God, then maybe we're going to have a problem with idols. Maybe relationships is one of our bales in our life that is getting in the way of properly loving God. It's important for us to consider these things. It's important for us to try to focus 
on these things and think about our relationships and the love that we show. What did Jesus have to say about it? Well, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus makes one of those pretty bold statements that we oftentimes attribute to him. One of those bold statements that if we're not careful when people read it, they set it aside and say, well, he doesn't mean that, right? Surely Jesus doesn't mean what he says. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, that's not what people say about Jesus, right? That's not the picture that we paint. We just have to love Jesus. Jesus loves everyone else. He says, I came to bring a sword. Notice in verse 35, For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. How far do you want us to go, Jesus? What are you telling us? How, how much does that mean? Those of your own household. Your husband, your wife, your father, your mother, your children. You need to go beyond those relationships when it comes to loving God. It's hard. It's hard because God's not necessarily here, you know, in the physical sense. We can't reach out and touch Him. We can't hug Him and put our arm around Him. But we can our family. And so it's very easy sometimes to begin to elevate our relationships above God. But don't forget, an idol is anyone or anything that takes the primary place of God in our lives. If you would allow me to, here, real quick at the end, I want to give you two. I'm going to give you a free one that I, I didn't get in the slides, but, but one real-life application first. How, how do we know? What's, what's one way that we can tell? What about your time? How much time do you invest into your relationships? Well, for many of us, that's a lot. Many of you women who have had children, maybe as you have gotten older, it's a little less. But certainly when they were younger, they take all of your time. And there is absolutely, 100%, nothing in the world wrong with that. Our mothers are great women who take care of their children. You give and give and give to them. There's nothing wrong with that. But how much time are you investing into your family? How much time are you investing into your husband and wife? And I will tell you the same thing. In Ephesians 5, marriage, we said a few moments ago, it takes time. It takes having date nights and going out together and talking and spending time together. You have to spend time with one another. How much time do we spend on our relationships versus how much time we spend with our God and our relationship with Him? You see, this gets really sort of stepping on our toes a little bit when we start talking about our time of worship, our time of Bible class, our time of study. People say, well, the Bible never says I have to be there on Sunday morning at 9.30 or 10.30 or Sunday night or Wednesday night. Not exactly. But when you're trying to have a relationship with God, how much time are you investing? Because it's tough. We put our time and effort into our earthly relationships, but oftentimes we don't put any time and effort into God. We think that we can just have a relationship with God without giving Him any time. When we give all of our time to other things, maybe those things are our idols. But the second one, and if you're writing those down, the second thing that I didn't get on the slides, but I'd offer to you for free here, is our standard. Another real-life application would be our standard. Let me tell you what I mean. We oftentimes, if a loved one of ours, let's, I'll just use myself, a parent, 
if my, one of my children were to commit murder, it's, it's very hard for me to then say, well, murder's okay, right? I mean, we wouldn't do that. We don't expect many people to do that. We know that that is wrong. But there are many other times that we take one of God's standards and we begin to change them for our family. Whether it's something like lying or stealing or divorce or whatever it might be, we begin to change our views when it goes against our family. And that's the hardest thing in this life because that's who we're standing next to. That's who we live with. That's who we have to see at holidays. And those are the people that we're around. But when we are willing to change the standard, God's standard for our family, maybe we've made our family the idol in our life. We say, well, you know what? I know that my child did that, but you know, I don't think that's what God really means when he says don't do that. You know, I don't know that God, that's what God really expects in terms of modesty. You know, I don't think he's talking about my daughter or my children. I, I think he's talking about, you know, the world in general, but not my child. When we change the standard because of our own family, then maybe they become our idol. When we give all of our time to our relationships and instead of our time to God, maybe that's our idol. Maybe those relationships are our bales in our life. And you know what's kind of interesting about all of that? We can make judgments on that. It's hard sometimes, and we want people to say, well, you can't judge me. You don't judge me, I won't judge you. But we can make judgments about people. We can tell when someone's not giving their time to their family. So why can't we sometimes say to someone when we believe they're not giving their time, enough time to their God? Maybe we should say to someone, you know, I think you're changing the standard just a little bit. Let's see what the Bible has to say when it comes to our relationships. When we think about our love, when we think about our relationships, if our love and acceptance does not come ultimately and supremely from the God of heaven, then it will become our idol. If our love and acceptance does not come ultimately and supremely from God, our relationships will become an idol in our life. It takes a lot of effort, a lot of thought, a lot of work to examine ourselves and really see where we stand with our relationships. But I want to encourage you this morning to do just that. To think about where you stand, where your time is going, what your standards are, where your love is and your acceptance is. Is it in your spouse? Is it in your children? Or is it in the one and only Creator? The one and only God of heaven, Creator and Sustainer of all things. We have to give God first place. We put several good things up on the screen a few moments ago. We're going to come back, God willing, next week and talk about a few more. Because we want to understand that as we examine ourselves, that we know what idols might be getting in the way in our life. As we conclude this lesson, we ask for you to consider giving your life, making the ultimate sacrifice, making God first place by submitting yourself to His will, obeying His simple plan of salvation. It begins there by giving yourself to Him, putting on Christ in baptism, allowing the blood of Christ to wash away your sins so that the Lord can add you to His church and you can begin to live faithfully. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to know that we don't have to worry about all the things of this life. We don't have to worry about all the things that tend to get us down. We can focus on our relationship with our Father. But maybe this morning you need to become a child of God. Or it's possible that you are a child of God, but you've wandered away. You've allowed something. Maybe it's not relationships. 
But maybe in just thinking about idols, you've allowed something to move above God in your life. And you're here and you're a child of God. You need to repent of your sin and confess it. And we know that God is faithful to forgive, that you can again walk in the light as he is in the light. We're thankful for our relationships. We're thankful for this family, the body of people that would pray with you and for you, even as we will sing together to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.